Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They have won the Rachel Hayhoeflin Trophy. Well, haven't we witnessed some absolutely sensational test cricket? Ash Gardner, take a bow. Welcome to Storylines, the women's cricket podcast for a very special episode. We're here in London. We're live. We're standing in the same room. It's me and Nikki here at the ICEC. Thank you. Event. Nikki, how did we get invited to this? How did we get invited to this? By the way, excuse my horrible voice. I have a terrible cold. But um, yeah, finally, we're in the same room and we're not looking at each other through Zoom. So it's, it's a good start. You look so much better in real life. Not that you look bad on Zoom, but, you know, right in front of me, it's radiance. I can't, what can I say? But, yeah, it's brilliant. We've been invited here. There's so many brilliant, influential and, and inspiring people here all to talk about and celebrate the ICEC report. And it's kind of handover to the ECB to kind of say, look, here's what we've set you now. These are the objectives you've, you've got to follow and what can you do with them? And we've already had a brilliant chat with Zafar Ansari. Yeah, it was a really nice chat with the, uh, Zafar Ansari, like just giving us like the details behind the entire process as well. And now obviously how they'd like things to progress. So today, in essence, is just about a bit of a here you go, ECB. Now you can sort it out. Um, We've done our work, so here you go. <laughs> now, I may just add that me and Nikki are going to kind of build this up with one two-minute voice notes across the night. And I should also add that there is free wine and champagne at this event. So this could be like one of those TikToks where they film someone at the start of a wedding and then at the end of the wedding at 4 a.m. So fingers crossed we make it through. You have a train to catch, so I don't think it should escalate that. I've got a train to catch. I've already split my tights. Um, <laughs> But I'm going to make it, even if I have to run across London. But stay tuned. Now it's time for an update because I have a very sweaty Nikki Chowdhury next to me right now because <laughs> she brought up a photo of her at Lords in 2010 looking so, so, so cute with the one and only Mark Nicholas. And we... We spoke to Mark Nicholas. We brought up the photo. He loved the photo. I got several hugs from Mark Nicholas as well. Nikki got several hugs. They got one set of photos together in which then Nikki decided... Okay, come on. Melissa's photo-taking skills is not up to the game. I would like to say that Nikki's hair wasn't up to the game because she made me retake them because her hair didn't look good enough. You are meant to tell me, Nikki, wait, adjust your hair. 
I will do this next time when we bump into amazing legendary commentators in the future I will do this but yeah Nikki then got two sets of photos from Mark Nicholas I got several hugs from Mark Nicholas You've already said that, so I think you're dwelling on those hugs a bit too much. I got to tell Mark Nicholas that his commentary for the, on the 2005 Ashes box set was the best thing. I used to skive off school to listen to it, and Nikki's just said very quietly, which I'm going to repeat loudly, she used to have a crush on Mark Nicholas when she was a kid. Do you have anything to say for yourself, seeing as we're in the law building? We are saying that on the podcast. It's fine, Nikki. I'll admit some embarrassing crushes for me as well. I used to fancy Private Pike from Dad's Army. And Danny from the Bash, Bash Street Boys. So there we go. How many wines down are you? Just two or three. We're not sure, but we're going into fa- to fetch some more people and so have some more thrilling conversation. Hello, we're back for part three of our updates at the ICEC. Um, thank you event, really. I mean, we're still laughing over the fact that Nikki genuinely became Niagara Falls when she met Mark Nicholas. I mean, I know that this podcast was meant to be informational. We're sharing the inspiration. It was. We've heard some brilliant speeches across the night, but uh, it's, it's genuinely hilarious that Nikki is still a bit flabbergasted about meeting Mark Nicholas. Nikki, can you defend your actions? I've nothing to say. She's now crying. Now, whether this is an effect of champagne or whether just being completely overwhelmed or, or because of the brilliant people we've spoken to tonight, I don't know, but it has been a, a, a fantastic event. Oh, thank you very much. I've just been offered some, jerk, some chicken. jerk chicken, which is... Thank you. No, okay, thank you. Thank you. That was you, a nice You would really pr- nice appreciate snack. the whole plate, right? I now. would quite like the whole plate. I don't know if you could bring it back. Here you go. I've got a live tasting of jerk chicken. Do you want to hold the phone? She's put it in her mouth. She's chewing. Yeah, it's a head nod. It's a big head nod right now. Mm, mm, mm. Did you hear those noises? That's the sound of a satisfied woman. <laughs> oh, no, not like that. <laughs> I think Melissa's wine is talking right now. <laughs> now, despite the free drinks and free food, which has been wonderful, this has been a fantastic event. And it was great to hear from Cindy Butts again and see her in person and the rest of the commission talk about all that they found out whilst conducting this report and what they hope to see going forwards because this was almost the official handover event to the ECB to see how they can implement the 44 recommendations going forwards and we've already heard a lot of really fascinating stuff on on how they're going to achieve this but to see everyone who brought about this brilliant report in the same room contributors from all parts of society has just been fantastic and me and Nikki genuinely are honoured so we're walking back to the station now after the ICEC thank you event we're just trying to safely navigate a road and not get smacked down by a four by four oh my goodness we almost lost the podcast in a couple of seconds but it was a brilliant event it was so good to speak to just just so many people and I, I feel like I'm saying the same thing again and again but me and Nikki are so grateful that we had the opportunity to interview Cindy in the first place that she gave us her time and if you haven't listened to that episode yet then please please do it was uh, not to be you know a bit blowing our own trumpets but it was some of our finest work it definitely was I'm very proud of that one you know like I would listen to it over and over again and as Cindy said herself tonight she was like this is not a night I'm going to be modest I'm going to shout about the work we have accomplished because her and her team have worked relentlessly on this report and it's just you know brilliant to see it all come together and as we say as she said you know it's up to the ECB now we got to hear from Richard Gold as well who kind of said thank you so much to the commission for for working this out and seeing 
what we can what we can achieve here at the ECB so it'll be interesting to track that progress and see how they go on with the 44 recommendations a, a slight giggle in the background there is me and Nikki trying to navigate some traffic cones which is harder than you think really when you're trying to record a podcast at the same time as walking there are so many diversions here like I'm literally but yeah that is it for the first half of this slightly disorganized podcast where i'm sure you know ideally we would have tried to bring you a bit more insight but actually we've just brought you along influenced by the fine wine fine wines fine company it was uh, just a great event we hope we've brought you along in our realistic experience of this evening but for the second half of the podcast i'm delighted to say that we have another feature of it's a man's world where this time i spoke to sonia twig a cricket journalist as well as football on her experiences of the sector so far and she was just absolutely superb speaking to her so stay tuned for that one and i hope you enjoy I'm delighted to say that today on It's a Man's World, we are joined by Sonia Twig. Now, Sonia is a brilliant sports journalist. She's covered men's and women's international cricket, as well as Premier League football. And she's also commentated on the county championship. And me and Nikki know that only the best people commentate on the county championship. And today, she's going to be sharing her journey, giving advice for aspiring journalists and sharing some of her favourite career moments. So, Sonia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on the podcast. It's great to see you. Great to have a catch-up. I feel like across the summer, me and you always find each other, even though we're not at the same games a lot of the time. But when we do see each other, it's always nice to just, like see a familiar face and catch up on what you're doing and see how well your commentary's going. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's always been great to see you. I think we missed each other because you were mostly focused on the women's and I was focused on the men's and it was an absolutely chaotic schedule. I think I got to August and was like, I can sleep now. The ashes is over. I don't have to think about what's next. And then we had a week and then the Premier League started. And so it took me quite a long time to actually recover from what was like two months of amazing cricket, but also two months of being like in and out of hotels and hardly sleeping. Are you telling me that you missed out on the one authentic format of cricket, the hundred ball format? You sacrificed it for the football. Come on. I I did go with a friend. I went with a friend to uh, one of the day games in Trent Bridge and we had a great time. And I went to a couple of others as well, but not not in like journalistic capacity. I mean, as you say, it was an incredibly full-on summer. So I'm I'm grateful that you got a break because I know some people who are covering the men's and the women's ashes trying to get to as many games as possible and they were running themselves into the ground. And as you say, hotel breakfasts are quite fun the first few weeks and then by maybe a third week, you're looking at it and going, I really want a full English, but I just can't justify it again. Or you're looking at going, okay, so it's muesli and yoghurt with a bit of... <laughs> Yeah, you try try and convince yourself to eat the healthier things as you go along the season. (laughs) I could talk about hotel breakfast buffets all day because I have a lot of strong opinions about them. But we're here to speak about you and your brilliant budding career so far because you're going to reach the very top. I know that. And it's, you know, worthwhile that we share that with our listeners. So can you share your journey into into journalism, how you first got interested in covering in cricket and football and and various other sports as well? Well, so it's interesting, actually, because I was working on a preview today for the India-Pakistan game on Saturday. And so I was looking back at my dissertation, which was looking at like cricket and India-Pakistan. And you end up looking through a lot of old emails. 
So I could see that I'd sent out, this was a few, when I was probably in my, going into my third year of uni, I sent out to loads of these like sports desks, emails asking for, oh, can I have work experience doing this and all this stuff? And obviously most of that you never hear back from. It goes into some sort of email abyss. Um, but I did one at the cricketer and I'd always loved cricket and I was working as a waitress at Lords as a way of sort of being involved in cricket and also earning some money in my summers without being too far removed from where I actually wanted to be. You know, I could have worked in a restaurant, but at least you get to see some cricket when you're working at Lords. So I did that um, for a bit and then got some work experience at the, at the cricketer, um, which was great. Had a really enjoyable two weeks. I went to start my master's in journalism at Sheffield and they organized some work experience for us. So we spent, I spent a week in a local newspaper doing news, which was never really where I saw myself ending up. <laughs> Didn't really want to buy, write about, you know, charity events with non-league football managers or all these various things that you have to do. Um, but then I got to spend a week at the Press Association Sports Desk and I really enjoyed it. And fortunately for me, they had a traineeship coming up a couple of months later. So I jumped straight on that. And then nine months later, was offered the chance to be a, a sports reporter down in London and did that. My first full football season was 2019-20. Uh, so that went interestingly when I was... <laughs> Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, of all the of all the seasons to get inducted into, that that's that's he one hell of a season. <laughs> I know it was it was amazing because I, I sort of joined and everything was normal, and then six months in, I was in a situation that I'd never been in before, and nor had anyone else. You know, we we're all just sitting at home. I think one of my colleagues ended up reporting on a virtual Grand National, and sort of cricketers racing around in you know remote control like sim cars. And, you know, talking through 2005 Ashes suddenly became something worth reporting on because there was no sport. And that was mental. I mean, it was an interesting thing because you look at, I know certain people like Adam Collins, Daniel Norcross, they went and did a series, a podcast series on broadcasting on TV, on, on radio for TMS, for female broadcasters. I was listening to that recently. And I know other kind of journalists took that COVID period as a chance to say, I've always wanted to write about this. I need to research for six weeks and this is the perfect time to do it. But it, it was a, a very strange time, definitely for your first season, but obviously things got a bit less strange since then <laughs> yeah and it was then you sort of thrust back into it and you had a game like every other day um and there wasn't really a chance to do cricket that summer unfortunately because it was all like so heavily bubbled and I think only one or two people ended up going to any of it and you had to stay in hotels by by the grounds and it rained a lot so one I know one of my colleagues was like I literally sat in the hotel by the Aegeus watching it rain and seeing no cricket I mean, I'm not going to lie, I've sat at the Aegeus and watched it rain many times. And I love that ground, but there is not many more depressing grounds to watch it rain because there's nothing near you, it's just the motorway. So it's, you can either walk to the McDonald's down the road or stare at the raining pitch and it's like watching paint dry. So yeah, I have sympathy for, for your colleague there. And then the next year I managed to do the uh, some of the England women's stuff, test against India... And then the series against New Zealand later on. And then sort of managed to focus on the women's stuff for the next couple of years, including a lovely all-nighter from home to do their 
World Cup final against New Zealand. Exciting stuff. Yeah, my 1am alarm was not fun. No, I mean, yeah, I, I covered a few of the, the World Cup stuff for the women's 50 over and waking up to, to commentate at 1am. And even now with the men's World Cup, I've got a 5am game next Saturday and you're thinking, oh God, so you've got to get to the studio by 4am, meaning you've got to be up at 3.30. And it's not quite the same as when you're going to the airport for a holiday because it's not as much of the excitement. Obviously very excited still, but... No, it's, it's, the, it's the perils of the job. It is, yes, when everyone says, you know, they think there are, like, obviously some of it is amazing and there's no way you'd rather be, but there are some times when you think, my alarm's going off at five o'clock in the morning and I'm, you know, live blogging from home or something. And of course you love it, but there's always that side that go, this is the part people don't see. But of the, the, the kind of fun moments you mentioned there, specifically for cricket what have been some of the the highlights or most memorable experience any games or series in particular I think the highlight was probably when I got the chance to go out to Pakistan last winter um I've never gone on tour before or or since actually and it was no no one really had gone to Pakistan I think one of the guys had and that was back in 2001 so there really wasn't a whole lot of knowledge about what we'd be expecting um, and I stepped up last minute because one of my other colleagues couldn't go. And so I had about two weeks to prepare myself for going to Pakistan, a country I didn't really know a whole lot about. Um, but it was amazing. And the cricket was just unbelievable. So to be there out there watching every day of that was great. And then the most recent Ashes, watching Stuart Broad take those wickets at the Oval was probably something I'll also never forget. It was such a brilliant summer and I still kind of have those those thoughts thinking back on, on the, the women's and men's ashes of just going, we were so lucky to see that. Because I've always thought, you know, and I know we're, we're both in our 20s, that 2005 ashes for the men's series has always felt a bit inaccessible for me. Like, I've watched the box set, I've heard the results, but I feel like I'm looking at it through a pane of glass and I can't quite get to it because I wasn't there living it. And I feel like this summer is the closest I've been able to get to, to, to that kind of hype, of course, but I guess not quite on the same scale, of course, the, the main issue being the, the cricket now not being on free-to-air TV, but it, it goes to highlight just how important the work of journalists is in making it more accessible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was 10 during 2005, so I do remember all of it and rushing back from school to put it on and staying you know sitting in even though it was lovely sunshine outside just sat in front of one of those old box tvs just watching the cricket i'm so jealous honestly when on your trip to pakistan of course you were the first woman to to go out there for the for the pa and you know that was a really great achievement for you and all these leaps and bounds you've you've had in covering women's and men's cricket Journalism within sport, within cricket, is a, a male-dominated profession. And this is something we like to talk about on it. It's a man's world. And whether you would be you know, happy to share your experience as a woman kind of operating and trying to get to the highest possible level in this kind of male-dominated profession. I think it's a lot easier in broadcast because there are more opportunities and not having representation when it comes to what you're hearing and seeing is that much more obvious. Whereas I think when it comes to written, a lot of people don't necessarily notice if there's not a single female name in an entire sports section of a newspaper, for example. And there's less sort of turnover in those jobs as well. So 
there is a lot less representation. I think I've I've regularly looked around the press box and think, oh, you know, it's a good day today. There's four women here, and there might be sixty men. And especially during the Ashes, when there's a lot more journalists from each newspaper, that part that section of it just becomes more and more obvious. So you're thinking like, oh, you know, I've never had to queue for the women's toilet or anything that you would think would happen when you've got 60 people in a room or... That is the one positive, isn't it? It's the best part about it. Oh, absolutely. But you're sort of thinking like, actually, there's only sort of four of us. And there's a lot of things that I don't necessarily think, and it's true with football as well, that are taken into account sort of if a game finishes late at night, some cricket stadiums aren't necessarily near public transport. And there's never any sort of like, is it actually safe to go home? You know, if you're waiting for a taxi in a dark road or if you've got a sort of long walk through an unfamiliar city, there's not necessarily that awareness that it might not be safe because everyone else there is male and it is safer. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it is something which a lot of people take for granted. I was saying just recently to one of my male friends, that, you know, I was I was unhappy about it getting darker in the evenings and he was going, oh, no, it's fine, you know, you've still got loads of time after work. And I was going, there's a curfew, you know, essentially it feels like a curfew that when it gets dark, I, I can't go on a run, I can't go for a walk and it feels like you, you are trapped very much in that respect. And it's not something you, you want to be worrying about when you're coming home from work per se, but it is just one of those awful struggles. In terms of the, the profession, how do you think it could become more inclusive of women or attract more female journalists? I think it's got to be a little bit... It, as you'll know, like, cricket journalism is quite insular. There's a tendency to sort of look inward and it, from the outside it can seem like quite a closed bubble. And if someone is new and they don't know anyone, I think that can be quite intimidating when it feels like everyone else knows everyone and you don't know anyone and you're sort of especially in the written press when you walk into you must have seen them some of these huge press rooms and go oh god I don't know anyone here and you just sort of sit like at your desk doing your work but I think there should be a little bit more effort to sort of actually go up to people and make people feel a little bit welcome especially when a lot of the time you're in like hotels away from home so just making sure that you know someone isn't eating dinner on their own every night or that they're actually included in plans, I think would go a long way. And and it helps you meet people and then it becomes that little bit less scary over time. Absolutely. I mean, I remember even having fears of, of going to go sit down in, in kind of press boxes at points and being like, is this someone's favourite desk? But I wouldn't know that because, you know, you're not quite in those circles. And I think particularly in my experience in broadcasting a lot of female broadcasters are ex-players as well and as a as a player not quite of the same international standard let's say you know I, I did find it intimidating because I didn't know the players personally I still don't know them hopefully I can get to know them a bit more but I, it certainly you know having that person reach out a hand and kind of introduce you into the circle and, and introduce you to other people really does does make a difference in your opinion Sonia what kind of qualities or skills are essential for someone to become a, a successful sports journalist? I think you have to not be afraid to talk to people and put yourself out there. It's a lot easier said than done, but ultimately, if you just sort of show up to these things and do your work and go home, like so much of it is networking. And in some ways, it, it shouldn't necessarily be about who you know, but in the reality, it is about 
who you know, who you get introduced to, who you spend time with, you know, what what your understand because the more you do that, the more understanding you have of what's going on around the team and the people around that, and that helps your work. I think you really do need to sort of lean into this network and be personable and, and also willing to sort of just go up and introduce yourself and talk to people and, and share ideas because ultimately that's how you, you know, you get better. You don't necessarily learn about how to do this sort of job by sitting in a room on your own watching cricket and then going home and not speaking to anyone about it it's all about sort of sharing ideas absolutely and you know in terms of your future goals and aspirations within the realm of journalism how do you want to continue making an impact off the field I think I'd like to see more women getting sort of internships and and chances I think that's important I also think it it would help if there was potentially a sort of network or at least a, a, a sort of desire to introduce yourself if there was a new woman and sort of make yourself personable because it can be quite difficult if you walk into a room of all men or all men who know each other you know when I was out in Pakistan I'd do press conferences and I think in one of the cities it would be me and about 60 men and there's nothing that really prepares you for that especially when PA tend to go first for questions. So I always had to go first at the beginning of every press conference, which uh, took some people by surprise when I first went out there and the press officer said, said do you want to do it? I, I want to do it. I think it'd be quite fun. And I was like, fun for who? Oh God. And I, I guess there's always that kind of fear as well that, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago, when there were, you know, women beginning to get involved in, in cricket broadcasting, cricket journalism, that it felt like, you know, there was only one spot for one of us kind of thing. And there had to kind of be that competition because there had to be, you know, the token woman in, in the commentary box. But now, because there are so many trailblazers coming in, particularly more in the commentary box because it has become more diverse, you know, it's now seen as a chance that, you know, you don't have to compete with the other the other women in the room. If you can get your foot in the door, then you can open it up wider for more and more people to come through. And as you say, it would it would be nice to see that more behind the scenes. We had Charlotte Swift kind of say the same thing, which she'd love to see more female producers coming in and doing podcasts, doing sports programmes. And it's kind of those hidden figures you, you don't think about as, as much of the time. Yes, exactly. And like in the press, we have these sort of written huddles where they take place after a press conference and everyone sort of crowds around a player. And for me, those are potentially like the most intimidating, especially because being a woman, I'm not the tallest. And on occasion have found myself like stuck behind sort of six foot people. So I can't see or hear anything. And that can be quite intimidating. And especially you don't necessarily have a tendency to like push yourself forward to the front, especially when like not just being a woman, but I'm also also often one of the youngest if not the youngest in any of these groups so that also adds to it I think. Now we couldn't have a chat with you Sonia without mentioning yourself that you're an incredibly talented cricketer and I've seen it with my own eyes for the Cricket Writers Club. Yeah that was a we played a hundred match. We did and I had to bowl 10 balls in a row and it's permanently scarred me. (laughs) Your first five were so good. Thanks for saying your first five. It, I think it was the classic hundred trope. I was like, if none of you guys watched the hundred, you should never bowl someone for another five. I'm just about to get... And I think I got reverse... I think it was re- switch-hitted for a one-bounce four on the biggest leg-side boundary or off-side boundary you'll ever see. And it was, that was it, a really yeah. big boundary. And the other one was quite small. 
<laughs> it was a massive blow to my ego. So yeah, good, good reminder. But of course, you know, you're, you're, you're a player yourself. Yes, I am. Although, unfortunately, in this job, it, it's quite difficult to balance like playing um, and doing it. So this, this year, I've only played twice. I did break my wrist, though, so I couldn't play for sort of a couple of months of the season. And did that, you know, impact your typing ability? in the press box it made it significantly slower which wasn't what I wanted during the ashes but no it was all right in the end I just couldn't play cricket for a while bless you and you know speaking of a broken wrist obviously not a funny story but something which has stood out is there any you know funny story which comes to mind or anecdotes of of your experiences as a a cricket journalist to round this off on a a fun note I'm not sure I think there have been some like good moments in in sort of press conferences or huddles when there's a sort of in-joke that it's quite nice when you you do get them. You know, when we were out in Pakistan, it's sort of asking Stokes how he feels. And he's like, well, I'm about to play golf. So all is good. Love that. He's he's such a straightforward person. He just gets to the point. For the golf course, just come to talk to some journalists before the bus leaves. Oh, goodness. I, I know what you mean. There's certainly, particularly in, in hotel bars, as you mentioned, it's so important not to go back to a hotel room, kind of sit there on your own and even just sitting with a few people people downstairs suddenly just turns what has been a long day into into a really memorable one yeah absolutely and it, it's so good to sort of just always talk to people and meet people because especially if you're you know if you're not in if you're not in England the only people you have are the people who've gone out there with you there's not really chances to make like new friends so you've kind of got to go well this is what we've got so let's make the best of it I love that. I'll tell you one funny thing. So when we were in Multan, obviously it's Pakistan, there's not much alcohol. So, and we were quite limited um, in terms of being able to leave our hotel. You had to wait for security and the gates wouldn't really open without them. Um, but so we ended up playing, you know, the sort of heads up game that you get on your on your iPhone and the generational differences between when uh, Nelly comes up and uh, one person thinks of the rapper one person thinks the R&B person and another starts singing Nelly the Elephant. So you've got all the generations. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love to imagine some of the people in that in that England men's press box trying to work out who Charlie XCX is. It was a lot of fun. There was a, there was an 80s round that I wasn't very good at, but all the guys in their 40s were absolutely smashing it. Oh, well, that's brilliant. Sonia, thank you so much for, for coming to talk to us here to, today on Storylines, the Women's Cricket Podcast. We are so proud of all the work you're doing and just keep smashing it. Thank you. And with that fascinating and just simply delightful catch up with Sonia Twig at the end there, that marks the end of this episode. Make sure to follow Sonia on social media and support her her brilliant journalism. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode. It's It's been all over the place, quite literally. It's been London, it's been based in Bristol. And it was slightly different with me and Nikki actually being in the same room and darting about Travis Smith like two little excited children. Because in reality, that's what we are. We're just a 23 and a 25-year-old pair of teenagers. Now, keep 
sending in your feedback for these episodes. We love to hear your thoughts and any recommendations you have for us going forward. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter is at StorylinesPod. Make sure you keep up to date with Simon's travels across India on his social media, as well as the analyst inside cricket and all of their Men's World Cup insights. They've been doing some brilliant stuff across this competition and focusing on some amazing storylines. You get me there? Such as Glenn Maxwell's absolutely insane 200. I shall add, me and Nikki probably spent about 10 minutes just gasping over how brilliant Glenn Maxwell is, but that's a completely different topic. Please share this episode, give it a like, tell your friends, and for now, Nikki's not here to do it. So again, I'm going to have to step up to the role. Are we ready? Thanks for listening. Bye! Podcast Network.